You're listening to the future of automotive. In this podcast series, I'm on a journey through the automotive landscape. Our cars are becoming increasingly connected with other vehicles and the infrastructure. You could think of a smartphone on wheels that will drive you to Paris without any hiccups on the way. Now, does that sound too good to be true? Stay tuned and find out. My name is Maria Punch, and in this third episode, we'll talk about data and connected cars. My guests are Frans Tillema, Lector Intelligent Mobility at Hogeschool Arnhem en Nijmegen, Stijn de Groen, Manager Digital Advisory at KPMG, en Peter Broekroelos, Chief Design Officer at Denik. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Good to have you. Frans, perhaps first you can explain what intelligent mobility means. What are we talking about? Yeah, intelligent mobility. Sometimes we call it smart mobility. Maybe that's a more international term. Mm -hmm. And for me, the definition is not quite clear because it's a very broad topic. Going from clever apps to drive more fuel efficiently or safely or to go faster from A to B towards connectivity and also the autonomous car. Yeah. Uh, So it's quite a broad theme. Okay, it's like a sort of container word that describes the future of the car, the new car that we're... I I sometimes compare it to the Milky Way. It's expanding rapidly and nobody knows where the boundaries are anymore. Right. That's a nice uh, nice metaphor. Um, Peter, your company, Denik, plays a role in enabling smart mobility. Could you explain a bit about what you're doing? Denik enables the safe, efficient and sustainable movement of uh, people and goods. And we use uh, the uh, infrastructure for that, the road infrastructure. So we deliver traffic light controllers, for example. So uh, chances are that the listeners you know, encounter us every day at the traffic uh, interface sections, but also the message signs above the roads. Uh, we are in the infrastructure in tunnels and bridges, these kind of things, and in uh, cloud mo- smart mobility services, because more and more all those infrastructure gets connected. Right. So that's what, uh, what Dinik does in a nutshell. We are a Dutch-based company, but internationally we have uh, offices in the Nordics and the UK, for example, uh, and export our products as well uh, internationally to many countries. Right. Interesting. We'll talk about that a little bit right. uh, further on. Stein, you wrote a report called Autonomous driving cars are key for mobility in 2030. In this report, you identify three main forces that will fundamentally transform how we move people and goods. What are those forces? Could you lead us through? Yeah, in general, uh, globally, there are three important forces. Uh, It is electric, the transformation from fossil fuel to electric mobility, uh, connected autonomous uh, transport, and uh, transport as a service or mobility as a service. And um, I think the most powerful concept is a combination of the three forces in which we have maybe autonomous capsules, which are electric and transport us, but also goods from A to B and from B to A. And what do you mean with capsules? Yeah, currently we know cars and yeah. trucks, uh, but this, when the, 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 the way of uh, steering these cars is very different, uh, mm-hmm. we can also maybe design these cars very different. And maybe yeah, currently we have a, a driver in the front seat uh, steering the car. Right. Yeah, if, if it's a computer, yeah, maybe we, we don't need that spot over there. And maybe we can uh, design these cars very, uh, very different and more efficient. Yeah, and they will look very different from what we're used to if, you, if you're if you talking about a capsule. If we uh, really do th- uh, future thinking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can imagine that they look very different. Yeah. Frans, do you see the same forces at work, the trends? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, also in Europe we see the electrification of, of transport. We see the sharing of transport, although there are different media things now happening where we say, well, uh, are we really going to share our private car? And autonomous yeah. driving is one of the most important uh, forces, I think, in the automotive. At least it's it's a promise for a mobility for all. So I see the same forces, yeah. Yeah, the word uh, promise is, uh, is interesting uh, in this context. Peter, do you see the same forces and what about the time frame because uh, the word yes. promise is yeah good question i yeah. think uh, mobility as a service also has different uh, connotations and the one uh, used here is more or less that the car sharing is the mobility as a service and, and i think that's very much dependent actually on a real autonomous car so mm-hmm. level five full autonomy uh, because then the car can really drive up to your doorstep right and, uh, and, and you don't and need you that parking it, right? space exactly so not owning a car i think will uh, will take a while of course uh, the the newer generation might uh, hop on that earlier. But mm-hmm. mobility as a service has also uh, a connotation of using more public transport and more integrated mobility, uh, cycling, electric uh, bikes, these kind of things. And, and I think that can be quicker and successful. Mm-hmm. And you now already see, uh, there was just published some figures for the for the train uh, company in the Netherlands, that 5% increase of, uh, of traffic uh, in the trains already for the, the first half year of 2019, yeah. triggering them to increase capacity. So I think that will uh, happen sooner, actually. Yeah, we've had uh, guests in the previous episodes that said, um, you know, that the future car is going to be a bit like a train in the sense that, you know, you can sort of sit back and you can answer emails, listen to music, have a coffee, stare out the window if you want. So is the new technology, is that going to be a, a competition, do you think, for public transport? In the end, uh, autonomous car uh, is very convenient, uh, I would say. And then uh, car sharing, yes, is definitely um, a competitive public transport. But uh, there is a few years to go uh, before that's the case. And I think public transport itself can also uh, yeah, become uh, much better. And that's uh, at least, I think, the goal <laughs> of those companies to, yeah. to make the service uh, so good that we have to use it more or less. Because otherwise, with all those cars, if we use the same amount of cars, then the roads will also be congested. Uh, I think the same applies to public transport uh, nowadays. uh, I wrote an article this weekend about uh, the limited uh, infrastructure and then the limited capacity in public transport. So if we don't use it also in a smarter way, we can keep investing. Mm -hmm. But in the end, uh, yeah, if we utilize the current capacity better by using smart technologies, I think that we as a society should also really take that into account and make it of importance and implement it, basically. Before we move on, I would like to pay attention to our sponsor, that is Leesplan. With over 50 years of experience, Leesplan's mission is to provide what is next in mobility via an any car, anytime, anywhere service, so their customers can focus on what is next for them. Now, Frans, I'd like to sort of zoom in on the connected car. Could you explain, you know, what does that entail, a connected car or a connected vehicle? Well, you started this podcast by uh, stating that a car is already a smartphone on wheels or an iPad on wheels. So the same amount of data that's in an iPad is also in a car. So you can imagine that having and and getting this data out of this car can mean a lot for people, can mean a lot for businesses. So this is what we mean with a connected car, sending data to everyone and everywhere, uh, but also getting data from everyone and everywhere. So that's basically the connected car. So there is a two-way stream. Yeah. Constantly online. Yep. How important is 5G for this? 
depends on what you really want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, now sitting in a car, I can already watch Netflix on the uh, in the back of my car. Sure. So and that's on 4G. So then I don't need 5G. I think uh, moving towards the autonomous car, uh, where we need low latencies and high reliability, we need mm -hmm. 5G. Yeah. But until then, I think 4G and also the uh, movements that we are making with 4G is still enough. Yeah. Stein, I was triggered by a quote in one of the uh, KPMG reports about connected cars. It says, in the future, we will judge a car by the data it generates. Yeah. Can you explain on that? Well, currently we judge uh, a driver uh, on, uh, now, you have to, to, to take your lessons and then you have to pass the test and you, you will get your driver's uh, license. Yeah. In the future, uh, the car is, uh, is yeah, steering and uh, having control over the car. So, uh, and the, and basically the, the, the decisions that will be taken by the car are based on, on reliable data. Yeah. So the data needs to be uh, reliable and uh, to control the car, basically. And the, the way how the car, the data manages and uh, how they base their decisions mm -hmm. on the data is actually uh, how efficient and how fast and how good the car and is comfortable performing. and yeah. reliable. Yeah, so yeah. that's really different if we compare it to today, because today we judge a car based on options, uh, uh, how comfortable is it, uh, how many, uh, how big is the navigation screen, etc. Emission. Emissions. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, is everybody collecting their own data currently in the automotive industry? There's uh, multiple camps in that yeah. automotive <laughs> industry. It's, uh, I think the automotive manufacturers indeed have their own platforms now. It's yeah. uh, very important also for maintenance of the cars. It's a more logical move, uh, I would say. But there's also data that is of public use or potential public use. And they can share that as open data yeah. with governments. And there are open platforms uh, for that. So multiple government agencies are, uh, such as in the Netherlands, for example, we have uh, a standardization going on also in Europe level yeah. to uh, to standardize the protocols for those messages. So, for example, if there's a slippery road and the car might find out because the wheels are spinning, for example, that message can be sent to the cloud and that can be an open cloud and that data can be used by all the other clouds and, and uh, eventually warn other users. Yeah, and we all benefit. That and would we be, all benefit, That would yes. be an upside of the yes. sharing yes. of data. Yeah, so I think there's uh, personal data uh, that will be kept by those uh, automotive manufacturers, uh, mm -hmm. for example, uh, but there's also open data. You were involved in a project, if I'm correctly, it's called Green Flow for Blue Lights. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Would you explain a little bit uh, what that is and what part the data played in that? A blue lights uh, is, is the emergency uh, vehicle in the emergency services sector. Um, and uh, what it actually does is gives priority uh, to emergency vehicles. In this case, the fire brigade. What actually happens is that the fire trucks and enter it's at the area where the intersection is, right. uh, a few hundred meters away. Uh, and the intersection is now connected. So the algorithm that triggers, let's say, the, the green lights, yeah. uh, that is uh, triggered... Uh, by the notion that the truck is uh, coming, it's connected to the cloud, and therefore it turns uh, green or it turns red. That uh, that is now uh, a test being done in uh, Helmond and in, uh, in North Brabant. Yes. Uh, what the best uh, way is to clear uh, the intersections, because you can imagine that when the fire brigade goes, always gets green and the rest gets red, then yeah. still there will be traffic jams for uh, the, the people that yeah. want to uh, wait for red light. So sometimes you have to, for example, put lights on red and then the fire brigade can pass them. So you're creating a throughway, exactly. uh, a safe and efficient way of exactly. getting to a scene of an accident. Yes. Right. I would imagine that that technology and that concept uh, you're testing now, yeah. that you could upscale that to 
Groningen, Londen, Singapore. That's the idea, yeah. yeah. So, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is all based on uh, standards that have been uh, worked on for, for years now. We have intelligent traffic lights uh, in the Netherlands. So, this is also based on, on the thousand traffic lights that will be uh, in 2019 uh, on the street. Internationally, uh, I think that uh, goes less fast than here. So, we are one of the front runners in that, in the mm-hmm. intelligent traffic lights. Uh, and the concept definitely can be exported. Yeah. Frans, we just heard the example about like data on a slippery road. But what sort of extra or new data do we need to make those cars really connected in the future? Well, I think we have a lot of uh, data already and I agree with Stein. It's not only about the amount of data but it's more on quality of data and mm-hmm. I, I always compare it with for example, the Dutch Weather Institute gives a red sign or an orange sign and when the data is not good enough, people don't act to it. So you need accurate data to be absolutely sure that it's foggy there or slippery so i really emphasize always the quality of the data which is important and then you can have multiple use cases like the uh, blue light thing or uh, other examples yeah. but it's especially quality yeah when we talk data we must talk about privacy and safety how can data be protected uh, first of all privacy but also let's say the risk of hacking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I think privacy and security are two different things. Yeah, sure. Uh, privacy, we have the GDPR, which uh, um, has a lot of advantages with respect to privacy at this moment. There are more things that can't be done than things that can be done. Okay. Uh, so that's good. It's really protecting our data. Uh, security is a different thing, and I think everything can be hacked. It's uh, only a matter of time, and we have to make this time as long as possible uh, for things being hacked. Uh, but both are very important. I agree that privacy is the main concern here. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the consumer concern that we don't trust handing over our data? I think it's the consumer uh, concern, yeah. Uh, What is my car telling the manufacturer or what is my car telling Google when I shout, hey, Mercedes, uh, the car (laughs) is recording something. Well, we have seen the examples of Google and and Siri. So what is being uh, uh, collected there? It's actually very interesting how the mind of the consumer works because we we now talk about the the importance of uh, privacy, for example, the importance of security. Mm. But the consumer mind works actually the other way around. So they really trust all these companies, give all the data to these companies. Yeah. And when then uh, there's a, a breach or uh, the company uses it for a different purpose, then the consumer starts taking care of it and, and makes it important and says, well, I don't accept it anymore. I, mm-hmm. I leave the company. I uh, resign from uh, Facebook. And I, th- I think in the car, it, it will work quite similar. Uh, mm-hmm. Consumers are trusting the car companies, are trusting that the data is stored securely and properly until the moment that uh, there's a breach or a car hits uh, hits something, makes an accident. There'll be a scandal. Uh, uh, It is hacked. And then uh, consumers are getting concerned and say, well, is it, uh, ask the government maybe, is it secured, is it okay? Uh, Stan, there are quite a few reports on, you know, is the automotive industry ready for all the new technology and the new developments? Uh, Are we ready in terms of cybersecurity? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> it normally, uh, you trust the product, you start buying it, you start using it, and uh, then the, the race actually starts between the hackers and the, the OEMs and the producers of the, the products yeah. to make it still increase uh, security levels, and, and hackers are still trying new ways to come in the system. And actually, that's not that's nothing new eh, there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know computer systems for a long time, and also in the financial, in the, in the, in the financial sector, we see quite 
similar uh, developments where uh, financial institutions try to protect their their systems and their data, yeah. and hackers try to uh, to enter the systems. I think that the, this, this a similar analogy will happen also in automotive. Yeah, but we will have to invest there as well. Yeah, for sure. From in comparison to all the other levels, and that's very different for the the current companies because they don't they are not used to this new risk basically. Ah. Yeah. Now there's an extra element as well, right? So the analogy is already there that use uh, works similar to uh, to just normal apps because there's an Android system in the car with a lot of apps you can download there. But it's now also the infrastructure that's being talked with, and uh, like I said, that's open mm-hmm. data. And what the standardization uh, mostly has been done is to anonymize that. So so to try mm-hmm. with anonymize. Uh, anonymized data transfer to uh, let, uh, of course, cars talk to each other, but also talk to the roadside infrastructure. So you don't know who it is. Uh, you just know that somebody wants priority, yeah. uh, you know, and what kind of car it is. And you don't uh, know if it's a man or a woman. Exactly. And you want to know if the, if the guy in front of you breaks or not, right? Uh, right. But you don't want to know who it is. So that's, I think, a difference with uh, with the normal yeah. uh, app ecosystem. Yeah. It makes it even complex, even yes. more complex. I think yeah. there's an additional risk besides uh, the security risk and that is we are sending a lot of data in the car but we don't know how the user will respond so what is the biggest risk here is it not knowing what the user will do with the additional information about traffic lights about other things or is it secure uh, cyber security I, I don't know what is the biggest risk at this moment mm-hmm. there is related to this how will we know in the future if the algorithms that are developed are independent I mean you know I could get the information this is your quickest route to from one destination to the next but then maybe I'm guided along a shopping center and the idea is that I might have a quick stop there I mean does is that related to cybersecurity Stein I mean how how can um, we it's a, it's more about ethics I guess yeah yeah it's a very good question uh, we as a society should really keep in mind what all these algorithms do for us eh, basically mm-hmm. not only in uh, automotive and mobility but just in general in society uh, but I can imagine that uh, also a car that in the future steers itself and brings you from A to B mm. and needs to be checked or whatever or need to be a pass, a, a kind of certification, uh, just to make sure that the car is doing that, not from a commercial base, but really uh, the most efficient way or the, more, m- the most reliable, safe way. Sure, and we will need new legislation or new regulatory uh, organizations to... At least we should stress the existing regulations and yeah. see whether these are, are already okay mm-hmm. or that we need to make some adjustments also to incorporate for these new dynamics, basically. Right. Peter, do you think that national governments, uh, or perhaps from a European perspective, could do more to bring us forward? Uh, yes, of, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a few things that uh, need to be stressed. One, we have experienced that it's very important that the national governments work very well together with the provinces and the cities. Uh, because there can be a national, for example, standard uh, for a smart mobility. And hopefully that will be then a European standard. That's not the case yet. So that is something to improve already. But also within a country, um, there are different forces that trial and test the different Things. And before you know it, all the commercial players are doing five of the same tests in different locations. Competing. Uh, so, uh, competing uh, with each other there. Competing is good. Uh, so there, there needs to be a market created, a level playing field. But I think some concerted effort to get a nationwide infrastructure with uh, the same kind of uh, standards and the same kind of policies as well. Yeah. So, for example, what is a truck? You know, from which uh, is it? Is it uh, a loaded truck or uh, an empty truck? Or uh, what is fun for getting? 
in priority, for example. It shouldn't be the case that all the cities have to find out themselves, but that should be kind of, uh, I think, set on a national level, working together. So yeah. it could be the G40, the biggest cities together, or the provinces <laughs> together, but I think that is important. Yeah. Yeah, and in, in addition to that, I think uh, we need to have a European level where we agree upon standards, because, well, my car doesn't stop when I cross the border in Germany, or right. go, going to Austria, so we need European services at least, and European standardization when we really want to go ahead with this smart mobility uh, theme. So not only national, but also European. Do you think that um, European decision-making, or perhaps the lack of it, is holding us back currently? Uh, I don't know whether it's holding us back. I think this is still a very new market where we see different initiatives and it has now, uh, it has to become, the dust has to go down, you know. Uh, um, And then we have to see whether we need some new regulations. But at this moment I see, well, different business models are appearing. Let them grow and then see whether we need some additional laws or regulations. Right. Stan, we talked a little bit uh, at the beginning of this podcast about the big promise, the big hallelujah. What would you see are the benefits in the future of this connected car? Yeah, I think we should uh, distinguish different levels of autonomy because mm-hmm. uh, we talked earlier in this podcast about really future thinking yeah. and about uh, capsules and right. r- really <laughs> the new stuff. Uh, today we have already uh, levels of autonomy already applied also in the car and that brings uh, uh, first of all I think a lot of comfort eh? mm-hmm. because you don't have to steer yourself the whole time eh? so that gives uh, some the, relaxed the, the time. form in of the assistance. Yeah, yeah. You, and you call it advanced driver uh, systems. Right. If we uh, are getting more autonomy in a car and there's a higher level of autonomy um, yeah there is an, a certain phase between I think level three and four or four and five where it's debatable who is really driving the car. Right. So that's a very, I think, difficult period. And maybe we can solve that with infrastructure, just to have separate lanes for the level real real autonomous cars, the level five cars, uh, and have uh, yeah, the current lanes for uh, cars where the driver is still responsible. Um, if you talk about then the, the benefits of it, eh, because that was the question, uh, if we have the real level five cars, yeah, you have very new business models where uh, people who ha- have no access currently to mobility, they can get access because the car can pick you up, eh, elderly people or very young people. Yeah, so that would make it more inclusive? Yeah, for sure. And I think that total uh, mobility will increase. So the level of uh, kilometers traveled will increase usually because it's so uh, easy to travel, actually. Mm-hmm. The car just stops by your home and yeah. brings to where, where, wherever you want to go. And I think also the cost per kilometer can drop because uh, the utilization of the car will be very high. There's no driver needed. Of course, the car will be more expensive, but uh, the business case for that will be very strong. So. Yeah. Uh, I think a very different way of looking at it and also the uh, governmental role, how to steer this new, completely new mobility landscape. Yeah, Peter, when do you think we're going to see this connected car on the roads? When is it going to be our new normal? You're asking connected, right? So we come from autonomous to connected. So, well, connected actually, um, we've come a long way already. So connected uh, is already uh, now. It's not happening now, right? So what you can do as as a listener, you if you have an Android phone, you can download the uh, Onderweg app, for example. It's uh, one one of our partners, and that is an overlay on Google Maps. So overlay on your navigation. 
and you can already see um, intelligent traffic lights talking to you, so saying when it's getting uh, red or green. So that is a, part of a form of uh, connected already. Uh, when you talk about anomalous and level five, then we are more than 10 years away, and uh, maybe France can be <laughs> in there, right? So um, I think uh, yeah, it's an evolution, so multiple levels of uh, autonomy. And I think what will be an, a very important moment is when we can see uh, platooning. Because then the road will be used much more efficiently yeah. uh, when you have uh, cooperative communication, as we call it. So the cars can talk to each other and then they can drive much closer to each other, like two meters right. rather than uh, 30. This is already used, this technique, and right? With, well, or this, with trucks on an experimental basis? This is on an experimental basis. Mm -hmm. uh, so far, uh, most of the platooning has been done with ACC. That is, uh, that is uh, cruise control, where the car uh, behind still looks if the, if the first one... Uh, breaks right and has right. the time to react right uh, but what we'll see is that there's cooperative driving and then the online communication does the work so that's uh, 10 uh, what is it 100 milliseconds um, let's say a delay uh, between the brake so right. uh, it becomes a train more or less and I think that mm -hmm. will be very important uh, form of autonomous uh, driving and uh, yeah the road capacity will increase uh, which can apply it maybe very soon Yes, uh, well, uh, yeah, that's, that's the point because uh, yeah, we, we discussed the delegate act uh, before here, right? Uh, the, the European uh, Commission actually wanted to have a European standard for this. Uh, the ITS G5, it's, it's a Wi-Fi uh, standard, but it has been uh, rejected by many of the countries. Right. Uh, because there's another standard, a competing standard as well, LTE. Uh, there's more coming from the telecoms uh, business. Um, so uh, now we have to see which of those standards will, uh, will win and, and that will provide us with cooperative driving. Uh, concluding, Frans, you work with students, young researchers. What are they working on? Are you testing, like, on your in your own controlled environment? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Concluding, yeah, well, we're testing on all these topics that we discussed uh, today. I see an, uh, a shift from from the traditional engineer to the more like electronics engineer, also in automotive. So we see a lot of guys are uh, that are really handy with with computers. Uh, so that shift is is absolutely necessary to uh, shape the future. I I always tell my students, well, not in my lifetime, I'm going to drive fully autonomous. But the, the way ahead uh, towards autonomy is your case and your business case. So they're really working on these topics. Thank you for sharing your perspective on technology and data in the automotive industry. Frans Tillema, Stijn de Groen and Peter Broek-Roelofs. Thank you for listening. In our fourth episode of The Future of Automotive, we'll be talking about circular initiatives. You'll find us in the BNR app or in your favorite podcast player. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you could leave a review or share it with someone. We would highly appreciate that. Till next time.